0: Jacob moves to Egypt. Today, Pastor Garrett and I will look at three important contrasts in this story. First, what's the difference between the names Jacob and Israel? Second, how is Jacob's going to Egypt different than Abraham and Isaac's? And finally, we will look at the difference between Israel and Egypt. In the famine, as we dive into Genesis 46 and 47. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to What's the Point Bible Podcast. I'm Pastor Joe, and I'm glad that you have joined us today. We really appreciate you listening to our podcast, and we ask if you enjoy it that you would leave us a rating. And maybe even share it with some of your friends or family and those that would be interested in this contact content and help us get the message out. We truly do appreciate it. I'm joined today with Pastor Garrett. Pastor Garrett, how you doing today?
1: Doing doing great. Um how you doing today?
0: Awesome. We are motoring through the book of Genesis. It is gonna be I think it's gonna be a great discussion today. And uh we're gonna uh just maybe see some really interesting things that uh, we'll wrestle with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but until we get there, that's in Genesis 46. So last time, uh, I think we were in 44 and 45. Give us a little overview of where we've come from.
1: Yeah, so 44 and 45 deal with um, the accusation of Benjamin and Joseph's revelation. So we remember in 43, all the brothers were together eating dinner. And then in 44, Joseph sends them home, but he puts the cup in Benjamin's bag and then he sends his men after him and pretty much accuse Benjamin and they're going to have to either enslave him or kill him. And this is kind of ramps up to Judah's redemption, right? Because Judah steps up for Benjamin and says, you know what? Take my life instead of his. And it was this sacrificial offering by Judah in chapter 44 that sparks Joseph's revelation in chapter 45. Because right after Judah says, take me, You know, Joseph says, you know, then Joseph couldn't take it anymore, and he clears out the room, and he finally says, I'm Joseph, and he has, Joseph has an interesting perspective on his life. We know from reading Genesis that the brothers sold him to Egypt, and Pharaoh promoted him, but Joseph says, it was God who sent me here, and it was God who promoted me, and really saw the providence of God in his whole life, that even though people did this, it was God working through him and after the revelation and after the brothers you know realize who he is they send Joseph sends the brothers home and says bring back my father and i got a place for you here in Egypt and the brothers go back and a very important thing at the end of chapter 45 they say Joseph's alive and the bible says Jacob doesn't believe it Jacob says no he's not but when Jacob finally believes he's referred to as Israel you know so unbelieving is Jacob, but believing is Israel. So then they decide that they're going to go to Egypt, and that's where 45 ends.
0: Yeah, so that's a, that's a great springboard right there for us to move into 46 because uh, we continue to deal with this, uh, how the Bible addresses Jacob. It's just kind of a continuing back and forth. At times he's called Jacob, other times he's called Israel, we started to make some connections maybe to his behavior, even his sons, that sometimes they're called the sons of Jacob,
1: mm-hmm. sometimes
0: they're called the sons of Israel. And so uh, we get this revelation, he gets this revelation that Joseph is alive, and so we go into verse 46, and it says the very first thing, it says, so Israel took his journey. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Jacob is, uh, it's, it seems, whenever we are talking about Jacob's Carnality, his stubbornness, his unwillingness. The Bible calls him Jacob, but whenever he believes or when he obeys or trusts God, God calls him Israel. Mm-hmm. You know, since chapter thirty-two, from where is, he is first called Israel, we see this continue back and forth. So now we see uh, Jacob uh, agrees to go to Egypt. He he kind of believes, willing to. Uh, Listen to his sons to go down and see if Joseph is, in fact, alive. Right. So it says Israel. He calls him Israel. Just kind of interesting. What do you think?
1: Yeah. And so we've definitely seen that. And then we even kind of related some of it to the prophetic books. When Israel's being judged, the prophets will say, oh, Jacob. You know, oh, Jacob, I loved you, and you didn't love me, and referring to Israel in its negative state. Um, But that becomes important here in this passage because... It, right here at the beginning, it's going to flip-flop back and forth. Yeah. Israel, Jacob, Israel, Jacob. Um, so this, I think it's good for all of us to understand that that there are tough interpretive parts in the Bible, you know, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, to assume that the Bible is a kiddie book and it's easy to understand all the way through and you have no issues really lessens the, the depth of the Bible, you know? So we run into that interpretive issue here right at the beginning because... It says, Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and then in the middle of the night, God spoke to him and said, Jacob, Jacob. Yeah. And it doesn't say Israel. He says Jacob. Yeah. And then at the end of that um, that little paragraph there, and, or at the beginning of the next one in chapter five, it says, then Jacob set out from Beersheba. So coming in to Beersheba, he's Israel, leaving Beersheba, he's Jacob, yet... He's leaving Beersheba after he's listening to the voice of God in the dream. So it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of difficult to handle.
0: It just, you know, I don't think it's just a mistake. I don't think it's just the writer just, uh, just loosely throwing, you know, different names. No, yeah. You know, verse 5, just still talking about this Jacob-Israel thing. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba, and it says, "...the sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father." Mm-hmm. so there, they're being called the sons of Israel, yeah,
1: yeah, right. The,
0: and <laughs> carrying Jacob, carrying Jacob. It just,, uh, but for me, at least, um, on the surface, you know, and there's probably more depth to it. Mm-hmm. for me, it's whenever God is trying to deal with this carnal nature, this resistance, this fearfulness, um, he calls him Jacob whenever. Uh, Jacob shows signs of willingness, signs of submission to God, obedience. He calls him Israel. That's mm-hmm. you know that's kind of a general, right? Because even here, you know, um, so Israel took his journey. So that's a positive motion uh, that he's going to go down. And then in the dream, in verse number two, he says, "Jacob, Jacob," he said, "I'm the God, uh, the God of your father. Do not be afraid." to go down to Egypt for there I will make you a great nation I myself will go down with you to Egypt and so forth and so it's almost like God's trying to address a fear that he has cuz God tells him don't be afraid so that fearful nature is Jacob right you know um and so maybe even when he leaves out and it says in verse 5 that Jacob set out from Beersheba um, I don't, you know, it's hard to it's hard to iron that part so, out, but maybe he's still dealing with some of those fears, some so let's, uncertainties.
1: Yeah, let's frame geographically what's happening here. G- Israel, Jacob, and his family are living in Canaan, which is just to the northeast, you know, of Egypt there, um, right on the side of the Mediterranean. And just so you know, Beersheba is an important landmarker because sometimes you'll hear the prophets or in the kings and Samuels, will say from Dan to Beersheba. Yeah. Dan is is all the way in the north of Israel, and Beersheba is a prominent city in the south of Israel. Yeah. So that saying represents all of Israel, from yeah. north
0: to south. From north to south, yeah. So
1: Beersheba is kind of a literary indicator of the southern border. You know, So once you go south of Beersheba, you're considered to be out of Canaan. Okay? Yeah. So as Israel comes down to Beersheba, he's Israel. Israel took his journey down to Beersheba. But in verse 5... Jacob left Beersheba, continuing to Egypt. So now he's south. So an an interesting thing just to me, what I pick up there is, as he's continuing south in Canaan, he's Israel. But as soon as he continues beyond Beersheba, out of the land, he's Jacob. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying like, oh, what he's doing is wrong, because he's clearly obeying God's vision. It's just an interesting way they put that. And, you know, whether... You know this or not, I think it's important for us to understand that the end of 2 Kings frames everything that is written in the Old Testament prior to that of the historical books, the Torah, Joshua, Judges, and then Samuel and Kings. Because the end of 2 Kings is the exile. Mm -hmm. The end of 2 Kings is Israel gets exiled by Assyria, Judah gets exiled by Babylon. That frames everything. Okay, because exile is the ultimate punishment. I mean, it is the thing that happens. So I think even though Jacob may be obeying God, and that he is, it may just be a way that the writer is saying, you know, when you're in the land, that's when you're Israel, you know. Jacob's obeying. He's doing what God wants, but he's out of the land, okay, because the land is a prominent thing because a lot of the Bible was touched during exile or, you know, Mm -hmm. framed during exile, so they're wanting to get back into the land, yeah. You know, it could be something something like that, maybe.
0: Yeah, it's it's not an easy thing to address. And, you know, for, for our listeners, when you're studying the Bible, it's okay to wrestle with the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's okay to, if you just read it and are quick to uh, come up with a solution, you maybe haven't uncovered the depth of it, because sometimes the solutions are not real easy to find, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And... um But anyway, so it's just interesting to make that note. So he does, he goes down to Beersheba, which is the southernmost part of Canaan. It's interesting, Uh, Beersheba is played a prominent role in the patriarchs. It was uh, in Beersheba where Abraham planted a tamarisk tree and called on God. He called him the everlasting God. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of got a historical spot there where Abraham met with God. And then Isaac also, built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord in Beersheba and so now Jacob is in that same area probably that same spot where he receives this vision from God so it's kind of a hot spot for the family isn't it
1: yeah you know you're coming back to the place to where your your father your grandfather met with God you know it's very common back at this time in the patriarchal period to have places or indicators where you would meet with God of course, we all know God is not restrained by a place or a thing, but it was very common for them to come back to the same place, which is not uncommon for you and I, Yeah. you know, what do we do on Sundays? We come to the same place to meet from God, but we know God's not restrained to a place, but... Yeah. So it's very common for them to come back, and that's what Jacob is doing here, most likely at this well or even at the tree that Abraham planted, Yeah, um, you know, meeting, and God meets him there.
0: Yeah, it's a meaningful place. It's a meaningful place. And so God tells him, you know, go down to the to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. You know, I, I find that interesting, that it will be in Egypt, not in Canaan, where Israel will become a nation.
1: Yeah, you know, well, it, it kind of goes back to what Joseph named his sons. One of them was Ephraim. You've made me fruitful in my affliction, you know, in the place where... May yeah. not be so great. I'm yeah. gonna make you fruitful. Yeah. Um, you know, even if we haven't got to it, but we've mentioned it a few times in chapter fifty, verse twenty, was meant for evil. I'll make good, so you're gonna experience evil there that I'm gonna turn into good. It even kind of mirrors the Joseph story. Um, you would think you'd go through the education system to be bred to be a ruler in the palace, but God made him a ruler in the prison. Yeah. And then he became a ruler in the palace. Yeah. So yeah, it is interesting, especially with Genesis, such an emphasis on the land the land the land the land that god is going to groom them outside of the land yeah yeah, yeah.
0: you know when god said i'm going to make a nation out of you and uh, even all the way back to abraham i'm going to you know multiply your descendants and all these things uh just probably didn't envision it happening this way you know so it's yeah. kind of interesting you know egypt played a role in uh in the family history so we've got abraham isaac and jacob all three of them face famine. All three of them face Egypt, so to speak. All three of them deal differently with how it works out. So just to, to review, Abraham faces a famine, and he goes to Egypt. Mm. Uh, we kind of frame that as that was a disobedient act. You yeah. know, while he's in Egypt, there's no more altars being built. There's no mention of God. Uh, he's lying about his relationship with Sarah. It's it's a bad thing, you know, and it's when he leaves Egypt and comes back to the land that he rebuilds the altar and gets back on track because God wanted him to trust him, stay in this land and Abraham disobeyed. Then Isaac has a famine. The Bible says he has a famine and he does better than, than Abraham does. He doesn't go to Egypt. He stays in the land and the Bible says he sowed in that land and reaped a hundredfold in that same year. Yeah. And now we have Jacob, who is facing a famine. This is a third famine mm. that they're facing. That theme of famine, barrenness, continues to come up. Uh, but now God tells him, go to Egypt. Yeah. So we've got three different patriarchs, all facing a famine, three different responses. <laughs> yeah. What
1: do you make of that? Well... <laughs> <laughs> That is <laughs> that's a challenging one. We you know, we talked about it. That's, that's a challenging one because Abraham did it wrong. Isaac didn't do it, and that was the right decision yeah. to not go. Jacob goes and now it's right. Yeah. You know? And there's an obvious there's an obvious overtone to it. What God says is goes, you know, obedience to God is the way to go. Yeah. Okay. God didn't want Abraham to go, but he did. God didn't want Isaac to go, and he didn't, and he was blessed. God wants Jacob to go, and it's good. The, the interesting part for me is, is all three of them battle with the same action, going to Egypt. And it's good for Jacob, but it's bad for Abraham. You know? Um, and that's a difficult question to kind of handle, at least in my eyes when I think about it, you know? Yeah. It's it's the same action. Yeah. E- Egypt's Egypt. Yeah. Abraham goes, it's wrong. Jacob goes, it's what God wants. Uh-huh. Um. You know, that's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of... Yeah.
0: It parallels, it feels like it parallels um, a New Testament story that we're going to be familiar with. Right? right. Yeah. And stuff. So I think it's more of an act of uh, obedience versus disobedience. This is what I feel like. Um, it's Abraham went out of disobedience. God didn't want him to go. Jacob is going to go out of obedience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God's going to speak to him in a night vision, a dream, and it's very similar to what happens in the New Testament with a man named Joseph, yeah. who was supposed to be the father of Jesus, you mm-hmm. know, he wasn't really, but, and God speaks to Joseph and Mary and says, take Jesus to Egypt, yeah, right, to escape, not necessarily to escape famine, but to escape Herod, but yeah. to still go to Egypt, It's part of the purpose, right? So there's some similarities here, some parallel.
1: Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, we're just going to ride with that for a second. That's definitely parallel, because when Jacob goes to Egypt right now, what is that set up for? Well, it sets up the book of Exodus, right? What does Pharaoh do in Exodus? We're going to kill all the kids, two and under, and then God delivers him. So Jesus gets sent to Egypt, just like Israel got sent to Egypt, because that's Matthew screaming at me and you, there's a second Exodus coming yeah there's a and this one's not going to be a physical Exodus but he's going to bring all the spiritual freedom that we've been searching for yeah so yes it truly patterns that and I think the reason God wanted them to go is because God needed a, a a way for his name to be known you know because before all of this you know Pharaoh's like who's Yahweh I don't know who Yahweh is you know when Moses comes and says let my people go but then now when Joshua gets to Jericho Rahab says Oh man, our hearts are melting because we know who Yahweh is. You know, there was a it was a it was all part of God's plan, yeah, the it, sovereignty of God.
0: yeah, and it's also fulfillment of of God's promise to Abraham whenever he made covenant. He kind of lets them know uh, to your officer, man, I'm gonna give this land and so forth, but he also lets them know that they are going to be enslaved, you know mm-hmm. at some time in Egypt. So all this is coming to pass to fulfill the word of the Lord too. So it's just uh it's just fascinating. It's fascinating. And in the parallels that you're drawing, you know, they both go to Egypt so that there could both be an Exodus and the yeah. and, you know, if we continue to take it a little farther, the first Exodus was by way of the blood of a lamb. Yeah. <laughs> the second right. Exodus is gonna be by way of the blood of the Savior, you know yeah. what I mean?
1: Well, well yeah, well we can even keep going. You got Matt Herod kills all the kids 200 and like Pharaoh right. does. Right. When e, when um when um an Exodus comes through They cross through the Red Sea, and when they finally go into the Promised Land, they cross through the Jordan River, and what initiates Jesus' whole ministry is He goes into the Jordan River and crosses through the water, baptized, comes back up, and it's when He comes back up, the Spirit comes on Him and says, this is my beloved Son. You know, the exodus is now. You're in the Promised Land. Yeah, so it's...
0: it's uh... It's great. <laughs> yeah. So so we see some so you know, there's some things to wrestle with, but we certainly see the picture. We see the picture. He said, Go to Egypt, and there I'm going to make you into a great nation, but I am going to go with you down into Egypt. So he's not leaving the presence of God. He's going with God. Right. And I think that's an important uh important thing to note. Uh so then we continue to move on. So Jacob sets out for Beersheba, and uh, he's going with his whole clan. So he's got wives and uh, sons and daughters and descendants, and and there's a whole clan that's going down. And the Bible kind of started in verse number 8 there, begins to kind of detail out some of his uh, descendants, and he breaks them down. Now, the way that he breaks it down is, Is this he's going to list the descendants of Leah, the sons of Leah first, and then he's going to list the descendants of Zilpah, which is Leah's handmaiden, and then he's going to do the descendants of Rachel, and then he's going to do the descendants of Bilhah, which is Rachel's handmaiden. So Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily in order of birth, oldest to youngest, he groups them, they're grouped, you know, based on their mother, yeah, and so forth. Um, and so these are the names. Uh, and it just kind of gives, you know, uh, lineage, genealogy, these things are important to the Jewish people. They, the, God wanted them to know where they came from, you mm-hmm. know, wanted them to know who they were, the descendants, their national identity and so forth. And so it's important for them to have these kind of uh, genealogies that pop up along the way to help them to see who they belong to, what tribe they belong to, and so forth. But these genealogies we're never meant to be all inclusive. We need to understand right. that they're right. not their intention is not to list every single descendant of every per, I mean they just could you imagine trying to keep track of every single descendant of every one of them and right. that list would go on and on. Uh but they do select certain ones, they highlight certain ones and and list them for a purpose, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what's happening here.
1: Yeah, so I did a lot of counting, okay? I was counting... <laughs>
0: Bible nerd <laughs> yeah, alert. Bible nerd alert. Here we go, everybody.
1: <laughs> I was counting... So the numbers here, it's gonna... You know, the, the big number is 70. It says Jacob, and it's... Everybody that came in with Jacob was 70 into Egypt. And so counting these names that are listed up there, you know, and, and when you count them, there's some ambiguity, there's some differences that exist just a little bit, um, and there's some struggles a little bit when you're adding them up, especially in that first paragraph when it talks about the sons, the descendants of Leah to verse, um, what is it? Verse 15. Um, You kind of get, you have the sons of Judah, which talked about um, Ur and Onan. Remember we talked about them in chapter, I think it was 38. They died, remember? They died, yeah. Um, So they obviously did not come into Egypt. And it even says that there in the verse. Um, And it includes Dinah in that, which is one sister And then when you get later later down, I think it's the sons of Asher. It includes Sarah as a sister, right? So there's two sisters included. Um, And it comes out to a nice, even when you do the math, it comes out to a nice, even 70. So I think what Pastor Joe is trying to say is if you were with Jacob on that day and you stood there with a clicker and had everybody walk by you that was in Jacob's household, his sons... Um, and their sons and daughters, his sons and daughters, and you clicked with the clicker, you're probably not going to get to 70 even. Yeah. You know, most likely more. Most likely more than that. So the author here is choosing selectively names to give a nice round number of 70, okay? Because 70 matches the literary nature of things that have been happening in the Bible, Genesis 10, the table of nations, 70 nations are represented. Of course, that didn't represent the whole world, but it was a representation. The number 70 represents fullness, yeah, the whole. So the number 70 in the house of Jacob represents everybody.
0: Right, and that's the message that we should get out of this. Yeah,
1: so not hyper, it's kind of getting over the hyper-literal reading, like this is it. There was no other people here. Yeah. You know, the odds of... This whole entire family having children, only having two daughters, Dinah and Sarah, can happen. Not a high probability. Yeah. But probably were daughters born to these people. Yeah. That aren't included. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you think about the odds. It's just like,
0: yeah, Leah had 33 kids. Thirty-two of them were boys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, could you imagine? Yeah, you had. Well,
1: even her, and then her sons had sons, and they're still only boys. Everybody
0: just has. You know,
1: that makes it good for handing down clothes. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, you you know, you
0: just don't have to worry about the girls' clothes and stuff. That's right.
1: But I guess what we're trying to say is, all these genealogies are, are selective. Yeah, it's not every person that existed.
0: Yeah, the message is this: when you get all the way down to the end of. Um, verse 27 all the persons of the house Jacob who came were 70 the the message is this not the number mm-hmm. but what the writer is saying is the entirety yes
1: yeah, what the number represents
0: the entirety just like the table of nations it meant the whole world yeah 70 mm-hmm. this is the entirety when we talk about the elders of mm-hmm. Israel 70 it speaks of all of them you know what I mean yeah exactly and so they represented so. Uh, the message is this. He didn't leave anybody behind in Canaan.
1: Right, everybody came.
0: Yeah, there was no, none of Israel's descendants, Jacob's descendants, left in Canaan. The entire family is being relocated into Egypt.
1: And, and the idea is all of them came to Egypt because none of them can say, I didn't need God to free me out of Egypt. Yeah. That's the message here, because you got to read the Torah... As a big unified story here, that's the message: is everyone came because everyone will be enslaved, yeah. and God will deliver everyone. Yeah, you know that's kind of like. Could you the imagine whole...
0: if one of the sons stayed in Canaan, then all of the descendants. Said, well, we didn't need to be freed. Yes, exactly. You, know, you guys are the ones that need to be free. We were always. We, we don't need a savior or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's the whole family's going to go because the whole family's going to need to be redeemed.
1: And yeah, and that's know? why it's important to read our Bible literarily like this. Read our Bible, understanding what the biblical authors are doing. You know, and I I was saying this to Pastor Joe before we came on, the biblical authors were not concerned if you could pass a history test. That was not their first goal. Okay? Yeah. Their first goal was to describe and reveal God. Mm -hmm. They used the real things that God did. Yeah. But their motive was to describe God. So we should not anticipate, if that's their motive, then we, we should not expect them to give us a history report. Yeah. We should expect them to write in a way that reveals God's nature, character, and actions. Never
0: forget, the Bible is given to us to reveal God to us. Yes. To God. Now, it reveals a lot of other things, but in the end, is to reveal God, His it, nature, yes. His plan, mm-hmm. and so forth. So
1: Yeah. So kind of adding up those numbers and doing all that stuff is interesting, but the whole... The whole message is that everyone came into Egypt, Um, and then so it just says they all came to Egypt, and then the next scene is Jacob finally reuniting with Joseph, Yeah, and he falls on his shoulder and weeps for a long time. Imagine that reunion, you know?
0: Incredible. He thought for over 20 years his son was dead. Hmm. Now he gets word that his son is alive, and uh, sure enough, there he is. I I don't even know... uh, how you would put so into words something like that. <laughs> yeah, be, who
1: knows what he looked like? I mean, yeah. I'm sure Jacob was taken back by what he looked like. He yeah. didn't look like a Hebrew. Obviously, he looked like an Egyptian. Right. Um, but of course when he spoke Hebrew, I mean, you got to think that meant something to Jacob. You know, these Egyptians probably didn't know Hebrew that well and I don't know. It's just a really, you know, powerful reuniting, you know, episode there. Yeah. And and Joseph kind of gives them a little insider trading, a little inside baseball knowledge here. Because he knows how Egypt works, and he knows what's going to work out the best for his family. And he kind of lets the secret in on them. Hey, you guys are shepherds, okay? So the best way for all of us to stay together is to tell Egypt you're shepherds. Yeah. Because they didn't like shepherds too much.
0: Right. You know, they despise, that's what it says, they despise shepherds. He said, so tell them that you are shepherds and that you're the keepers of livestock, uh, that you've been doing it your whole life from your youth up and by doing that pharaoh will let you stay in the land of goshen it would be a kind of a separate tract of land you will be kind of kept at a distance from egypt because the egyptians despised um you know shepherds and so forth and so he says that way you may dwell in the land of goshen and uh and i i was thinking about this and um that whenever he tells him to to uh tell them they're, they're uh, shepherds, was to keep them distinct. You know, mm-hmm. if God would have left Israel, uh, talking about the, the, the all the descendants, the nation or whatever of Israel, if he'd have left them in Canaan, uh, they may have become corrupted. We see that already starting to take place. Mm-hmm. Let me just uh, reference uh, uh, chapter 46 and verse number 10, talking about the sons of Simeon, and it lists them, and it says that, Uh, Shaul was the son of a Canaanite woman. Mm -hmm. So we see that Simeon has already started to marry Canaanite women. Mm -hmm. That is a no-no. We go back in Genesis chapter 28, whenever uh, Isaac called Jacob and says, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. The Canaanites were pagans. They were idolaters, idol Mm -hmm. worshipers. And they didn't want to intermingle with them. They want uh, that wasn't God's plan for them. So now they're in the land of Canaan, and sons have already started to marry some of these Canaanite women. Yeah. So God orchestrates the whole the whole scene. He's orchestrating here. They move out into Goshen, and when they're in in Egypt, uh, he says, "Say you're a shepherd, because the Egyptians despise shepherds." And you will be given this land, and you will be able to stay uh, secluded or whatever. In other words, you'll be able to keep your national identity. You're not worried about marrying in with the Egyptians right. and so forth. If
1: everyone hates you and they don't want to talk to you, you're not going to marry them. <laughs> you know. So, yeah. Because if they hated shepherds, they would kind of leave you alone, be separate from you. So that would leave you despite your best actions, you'd only have one choice to marry inside the family, you know? Yeah,
0: and I, you know, and I I think that's, that's the picture we get for God's plan for Israel the whole time, you know, is that they are to be separate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're to show other nations what, what it's like to serve the real God, you know what I mean? And if they'll worship God, and God will bless them, and other nations will see that, and it will hopefully entice them to serve God also. That was kind of the plan.
1: Yeah, exactly. So this whole formula that Joseph works out is to get them in their own land. So then in chapter 47, it picks up with Joseph going before Pharaoh. And Joseph you know, introduces his brothers. He brings five brothers along. And the brothers say, we're shepherds, just like Joseph told them to say. And Pharaoh pretty much says, okay, Joseph, you know, Egypt is yours. Put them, let them live in the best land, put them wherever you want to put them. And Joseph puts them in Goshen by themselves and kind of gives them a land to be in, you know, so the plan works out. Yeah.
0: Joseph, it's interesting here. Joseph uh, becomes the representative for the family Mm -hmm. to Pharaoh. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about Joseph being a picture of Christ. Joseph represents uh, Israel to Pharaoh, who can kind of be a picture of God, really, if you want to look at it that way. You yeah, know, the king, and the yeah. king, and whatever it is. And uh, so, what a great picture! He's advocating on behalf of the family. You know, mm-hmm. as long as the advocate is there and alive, the family is protected and blessed. Right. And so, that's a good picture.
1: Yeah, because when the advocate dies, when Joseph dies, there rose a fear that didn't know Joseph. Ben yeah. Things happen, you know? Yeah. Exactly.
0: Um, Good thing we have an advocate that's alive.
1: Yeah, that is not going to die. Yeah, yeah,
0: remains alive and and takes our case up uh, every yeah. day. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so then, after the brothers go in and they have a place settled, they're going to live. Joseph now brings Jacob, his father, in to meet Pharaoh, and it's interesting. Jacob blesses Pharaoh right away. You know, um, kind of showing his honor for Pharaoh, honor for his authority. There's interesting thing I just kind of thought of when it speaks about honoring authority, Pharaoh by no stretch of the mean is a godly authority, okay? We understand that. He's not a godly person. But Jacob honors him because yeah. he's an authority figure, Yeah, and it reminds me of uh, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when um they don't bow down to the idol, you know, and, and Nebuchadnezzar brings them before you and says, you know, you need to bow down or you're going to get thrown in the fiery furnace, and they say this line, you know, whether our God can deliver us or not, your majesty... We will not bow down, you know. Yeah. And even if our God doesn't, we will not bow down before this idol, Your Majesty. Two times to this pagan king, they say, Your Majesty. Yeah, and they they identify he's wrong. They identify they're not going to listen to his evil orders, but they still call him Your Majesty. Yeah, it's his idea of respect. You know, that's a you know that's an idea that the Bible promotes is respect for authority, respect for people in general. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it's interesting that Jacob comes and blesses him. And then Pharaoh asks him an interesting, kind of an out-of-place question. It seems doesn't fit. How old are you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think it was what, maybe last podcast or whatever, we talked about how that Pharaohs tend to die at a young age, right? Yeah, definitely younger than our expectations. I think what we talked about when Joseph became a father to Pharaoh, we talked about what that could have meant. And Mm -hmm. one of them could be that Pharaoh was just young. Younger, There's a high probability you know,
1: Joseph at forty was older than Pharaoh. There's yeah, a good chance. Yeah. So
0: imagine Pharaoh when he sees Jacob. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's probably the first thing I'd say to him too. It's like, how old are you, <laughs> dude? Look how old. man. Look at you.
1: <laughs> and what's funny is Jacob says a hundred and thirty, and then he says, "Few and evil have been my days." Yeah. He says few. <laughs> yeah. So do you remember way back in Genesis chapter five? We talked about the genealogies and how people were living 900 years and seven yeah. 600, and we said, man, that sounds like a lot. But then we referenced it back in its historical context to what is called the Sumerian Kings List, an ancient list that parallels the Bible's account, except those pagan kings were living 10,000 years and 8,000 years. Yeah. So we read it and say, wow, they're living forever. But the original reader of the Bible would say, man, these guys are living really short, right? And we said it was an effect of sin, right? The Bible, the biblical author was trying to show us that sin was actually decreasing life. Yeah. Well, here it's the opposite. Pharaoh says, how old are you? And Jacob says 130, which sounds like a ton. And he says, few have been my days. Yeah. So what we see is that when the blessing of God is on a people, it's bringing life, right? Because to Pharaoh, 130 sounds like a lot, But to Jacob, it seems like a few, because living in the blessing now brings life. Does that kind of make sense a little bit?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So they get brought in, and uh, there's an introduction that's made to Pharaoh, and uh, and then Joseph settles all of his family in the land of Goshen, and it says that Joseph provides for his father, his brothers, and all of his father's house. He gives them food according to the number of their dependents. And so uh, at this point... All is good, you know? There's a famine going on, but in the midst of the famine, they are being blessed, Yeah, and uh, they are experiencing the good things of God. They're blessed in a despised place, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's something to be said. That's something we find in the story of, of Joseph, you know, that God favors him even when he's in an unfavorable place, yeah. you know? And, and in, so...
1: And looking at the book of Genesis from, you know, a thousand feet back and way up and just seeing the whole broad storyline... The book of Genesis begins with a curse. Genesis 3, right? The curses come down, and the curse just ravages the earth through the first 11 chapters, yeah. right? It begins with a curse. But the book of Genesis blen- or, um, ends with all blessing. Yeah, So we have Jacob in chapter 47 blesses Pharaoh twice. He blesses him twice. Chapter 48, Jacob blesses Ephraim and Manasseh. Chapter 49, Jacob blesses all the tribes of Israel, So what started as a curse through God's sovereignty is ending in a blessing. Yeah. You know, so you know the whole book, when you read it like that, gives a message in itself.
0: Yeah. Kind of feels like God can turn it around, huh?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the whole point of the whole book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm (laughs) just saying, for somebody that needs to hear that, God can turn it around.
1: Yeah. What started as a curse has now become a blessing.
0: Yeah. And that moves us into then... Um, uh, so b- back away from the family scene and back into the, uh, business part of it here, the famine, mm-hmm. Joseph is still dealing with this famine. The famine now, uh, has hit the land. Um, we know that there were still five more years left on the famine. So they still got the, the majority of the deal with and, uh, the, the land is running out of food and so people then start coming to Joseph for food It's kind of interesting how he deals with this. We were kind of wrestling with this, and we don't really know what to make about it, but we'll just kind of throw it on the table and talk about it. Joseph then starts uh, selling back to the people all of this grain that he had gathered from them during the plentiful years, right?
1: Yeah, you know, his plan was, hey, during the good years, everyone turn in a portion of your food. So that way in the seven lean years, you have food stored up. But the... um, the issue first arises is Joseph is is um, making them pay for this food that they've given, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of a weird thing. So, But then the story progresses to where the people come and say, we have no more money, but the famine is still strong. And Joseph says, you know, okay, give me all your livestock, and I'll give you food. So they said, okay, here you go. They gave them all their livestock, and Joseph gave them food. Then they come back the next year and they say, We have no money. You own all of our animals, but we need food. And Joseph says, Sell me all your land and sell me you. Yeah. And I'll give you food. Yeah. So the people sell their land and themselves to Joseph and the Pharaoh. And Joseph gives them food. And it says this interesting line in, in verse 20. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. It emphasizes that. Verse 21, As for the people, he, meaning Joseph, made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Yeah. So here in this picture, it almost seems that Joseph... Enslaves the whole land of Egypt for Pharaoh, yeah, and that's a very probably unknown passage to a lot of people
0: it's um you know don't really know what to do with it, to be honest with you, you know when we talk about it, it says that he uh, made servants of them, or uh, as you said, enslaves them. I think uh, the footnote says that he moves them all to the cities, so they sell their land, he kind of has them vacate their land, Mm -hmm. puts them into these cities. Um, We can look at that in a couple different ways. It could be kind of encampments, could be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It could be this is the best way to be able to take care of them, to feed them. It could be this is where the work is being done. And so Mm -hmm. now this is how you're going to pay for your food. You've got to build these cities for Pharaoh because we know Mm -hmm. Egypt is famous for building their cities, their pyramids and all of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And even slavery, we know that eventually Israel will become slaves in Egypt, but e- Egypt enslaved more people than just Israel. Yes. Because he even talks about the Exodus. There's some that came out that were not Israelis. You know, they yeah. were not Jews. There were other nations, other people. So it could have even been here some of the Egyptians that yeah. were being enslaved. So, yeah, it's, uh you know, for all the good and all the, the you know, the... The pictures that we've talked about, Joseph, he's a picture of Christ, and all these things. Uh, but we cannot forget, he is not Christ. Right. He is not Christ. He is not perfect. He is not... If he was the Savior, then there would never been a need for Jesus, yeah. you know?
1: Genesis 3.15, still not been fulfilled.
0: So, yeah. So even though he's a type of Christ, we should never think that they are perfect. Right. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't really know what to make about this.
1: Yeah, you know, it... It feels like it fits the narrative of Abraham's great, and then he fails. Isaac, great, but then he'll fail. Jacob, great, then he'll fail. Joseph, the highest of all of them, right? But even now, this just feels like a negative, a negative on Joseph's mark, because the whole idea of Genesis, remember way back at the beginning, we were searching for the seed of the woman, right? Is it, is, is it Cain? No. Is it is it Seth? Well, he's good, but No. Is it Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? Is it Joseph? You know, this story seems to make it help us understand that no, it's not. Because even when you read in the laws that are going to be given later, allowing people to have their own land was was a important part of it. You know, not abusing your people, not over extorting them. And this kind of seems like a little bit of extortion. You want food, I got it for you, if you'll give me your and yeah. if you give me your land.
0: You know, and it could be if we to try to look at it on, the, on a different, a better light. It's, you know, Joseph saved their lives. So now they owe him their life. Mm-hmm. You know, you saved my life. And and that's kind of what uh, he said. You know, I've bought you in the land uh, for Pharaoh. And then he, he tells him, so I'm, so I'm going to give you some seed and you're to go back and plant it. And whatever grows, you're going to give one fifth of that back to Pharaoh, and you keep four fifths. and And they replied, "You have saved our lives, uh, so you know we will be servants to Pharaoh. In other words, you saved us. This is what we're going to do in return. Mm -hmm. You know, I. So I don't know. There's good and bad. You can review it in both ways, right? Yeah. It's it's Joseph did a good thing. He saved their life. Uh, and we can even view that the Lord saves our lives, we owe him our life back. Mm-hmm. You know, it could kind of be viewed like that. You could view it as Joseph as being a faithful worker, he's a faithful in command, and he is running the business very shrewdly and, mm-hmm. you know, to build up Pharaoh. But then you can look at it in the negative as like, man, he, uh, you know, enslaved all the people, took everything they had. Yeah. You know, the people had nothing left.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, he saved them right then, but when the famine ends, now they own nothing, yeah, and they're subjugated to Pharaoh, so you know it just the way the reason I think it seems like a negative is because it seems to just fit with the narrative as a whole, yeah, so remember way back to Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. We talked about how Hagar was an Egyptian slave, and Abraham abused her, right, because they tried to have a baby with her and Ishmael and all that stuff. Abraham abused her. That was the Hebrews abusing the Egyptians, right? The first time. Now you have here, you have a Hebrew enslaving the Egyptians, right? Yeah. And then the next paragraph says, but he but Israel was fruitful and multiplied. Yeah. So you have a contrasting picture of a Hebrew enslaving the Egyptians while the other Hebrews are fruitful and multiplied. Yeah. Yet in Exodus that story will flip. The Egyptians will now increase as they Oppress the Hebrews. Yeah. Right? So it seems like it's setting up for that inversion. Yeah. Along with showing us that Joseph, while great, is not the son of the promise. He's not the Messiah. Yeah. You I mean, know, that's I, an important picture. I, too. I think that's
0: what we gain too from this is, is that as great as he is, he's not the one. Yeah. He's not the one. Uh, so we got this uh, picture of Joseph, uh, you know, and the whole land of Egypt becomes. Subjugated unto him and unto Pharaoh, but there's this great contrast. You know, they the the Egyptians have sold all their land, everything. But then, verse twenty seven, you've already kind of uh, mentioned it. Uh, thus, Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it mm-hmm. and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Mm-hmm. So while uh, Egypt was losing, yeah. Israel was gaining. Yeah. You know, listen, God was blessing them in the land of their affliction.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the thing, is is they're being blessed and they're prospering in Egypt. You know, in a land where the Egyptians can barely survive. They were prospering. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of like the message. You know, that's a theme throughout the Bible where it seems like it's impossible you thrive. You know, Isaiah said that Jesus was a root that grew out of dry ground Yeah, in a place where nothing can survive. Jesus right. grew, you know, and yeah. that's kind of how Israel is growing in a famine.
0: Yeah. So Israel's going to become a nation in Egypt. It's it's kind of like this picture that Egypt becomes the womb through which uh, the nation of Israel will be born. You Think about the protection of the womb and stuff. Uh, Israel moves into Goshen. They are protected. In Canaan, they were um, in danger of being corrupted. They mm-hmm. were starting to marry the Canaanite women and it could have corrupted them. So now in Egypt, the Egyptians don't want anything to do with them. Mm-hmm. So they're protected, yeah. like in the womb. And they are being fruitful and multiplying. That is what God wanted them to do, you know, and they are blessed. Let me just throw out some of these numbers. I was doing a little bit of math here. So from the time that God called Abraham... It took 25 years for him to have one son. Mm -hmm. And then Isaac, it took 60 more years for him to have another son, which was Jacob. And then it took another 50 to 60 years for Jacob to have uh, his 12 sons, you know, and daughter. And so it has taken this family from the time that God called Abraham till now to about 215 years and they have grown to 70 people but now in the next 400 years they will grow to about 2 million or more things are about to get amped up this mm-hmm. idea of being fruitful and multiply is going to going to be realized yeah now you know in the beginning it was such a struggle to just have a, a son right mm-hmm. all the barrenness and stuff they went through but now It's like exponential, man. It's about to to go off the charts. And the
1: multiplication doesn't happen until they're in Egypt. Yeah. You know, that pressure produces the multiplication. That oppression produces the multiplication. And that's also a theme in the whole Bible. The church added daily in the book of Acts when they were persecuted. Yeah. And the world was one when they were persecuted violently in Israel, so they spread out. You know, the idea of that when you're in the pressure cooker, when you're underneath it being, quote-unquote, afflicted, that's yeah. when the multiplication happens.
0: And it's just this great growth within this womb, so mm-hmm. to speak, because it's not a growth that has intermingled with Egypt because Egypt doesn't want anything to do with them. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's this very, I don't know what the is I'm looking for, a very pure, very clean growth. It's just Israel multiplying by... Staying within their own uh, people, you know what I'm saying, right, and not embracing other nations and other things, and they will grow to become this nation.
1: Yeah, you know, the nation of Israel. yeah, so I mean, the great line, it ends there with their fruitful and multiplied, and then there's a little paragraph that comes next, and it's Jacob and Joseph talking, and Jacob and Joseph have this discussion, and Joseph, or excuse me, and Jacob says, you know pretty much I'm about to die. You know, I need you to make me a promise. Don't bury me in Egypt, but take me back and bury me with my fathers. That's the request he has. He says, I know we're going to Egypt, but don't leave me in Egypt. Bring me back and bury me with my fathers. Yeah. You know, um, you know the idea of that, first it gives us two things. First, the historical reality is, Back at this time, where you were buried mattered. If you were buried with your family, it affected the afterlife in a lot of their thoughts. If I was buried with my fathers, I'll be with my fathers. Mm -hmm. That's why it was important to have a family burial site. You bury everybody together, take the bones back, bury them together. So on that historical side, Joseph or Jacob's, you know, bury me with my fathers because I want to be with my family in the afterlife, because they didn't have an extended knowledge of the afterlife like like you and I will have after Jesus and all that stuff, okay? Yeah. So that's kind of how they're thinking. But on a literary note, okay, Jacob is proclaiming, Israel here is proclaiming his his faith, you know. When he says, bury me with my fathers, he's saying, we're in Egypt now, but I know we'll be back in the land, you know, because there's got to be a way for you to bury him with his fathers. Yeah. He's saying, we're going to Egypt, but I know that there's going to come a time when you're going to bury me with my fathers. You're going to take me back. And Joseph will say, do something similar. Yeah. You know, there's coming a time when we're leaving Egypt. We're here now, but bury me with my fathers. When you come, don't forget about me.
0: Well, the covenant is certainly in their their mind. They don't ever forget about the covenant. They knew that God promised them that land, Mm -hmm. the land of Canaan. So even though they are moved into the land of Egypt, uh, and they are being prosperous and then eventually will become slaves and they are forced to stay in that land. God will bring them back. And uh, and so, yeah, Jacob will be buried. Joseph will also be buried there.
1: Cover a lot of a lot of good stuff here in this chapter, a lot of stuff to think about, maybe uncommon things. So, Pastor Joe, what what's the point of these chapters? What do you what stood out to you?
0: Well, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I got <laughs> I got kind of tickled about that. Um, you know, we see that uh that God is going to take care of his people. God's plan, his providence is in control. That um he, that Jacob is willing to trust God and allow God to lead him, and they move their family down into Israel, or excuse me, into Egypt, where that they will be blessed, and that when we're reading the Bible, we need to understand that God is trying to reveal himself, and that we yeah. we don't get hung up on the, um, like the genealogies and so forth, the the Uh, what do you call it,
1: hyper-literal reading reading
0: of it, but that instead the number 70 is like the entirety. We see God moving the entire nation, that Mm -hmm. God is moving and getting them where he wants so that he can make them a nation.
1: Yeah, so I think that's a big point, that God moved all of them there because all of them would be delivered. No one could have an excuse to say, well, I was left behind. Um, And then as we move into... Chapter 47, you know, they're shepherds, so they live in a distinct land because God is going to groom them together. They're not going to be intermingled. It's going to be his people. Um, And then you have the contrasting episode of of Joseph strangely enslaving Egypt. In the meantime, though, Israel is fruitful and multiplies, and they gain possessions. Yeah. And it kind of sets up this contrast that will then be flipped on its head Coming in Exodus.
0: Yeah, that God would bless them in the land of their affliction. While others were suffering, um, the, the people of Israel were being prosperous. They were being fruitful. They were multiplying. And God preserved a nation, a distinct nation in the womb of Egypt, mm-hmm. so they would not be corrupted by other nations, and they grew to become a great people,
1: yeah. And then the final, I think the final paragraph there, starting in verse 29, really connects it to the theme of the book of covenant. You know, Jacob doesn't forget the covenant that'll bring us back into the land. He says, When God fulfills his word, you know, don't forget about me, bring my bones back because I know God's covenant will be true. Thank you for listening to this episode of the What's the Point Bible Podcast. What's the Point Bible Podcast is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Muncie, Indiana. Please leave a rating and a comment on this podcast. This helps us grow our audience to reach more people with this message. For information about this podcast, LifePoint Church, or for ways to support this podcast, you can visit lpc.tv or download the LifePoint Church Muncie app.